Well, let me uh, begin this morning by just uh, saying that yesterday we had the privilege of, uh, of hosting a presbytery here, and um, you all did a wonderful job. I want to thank all of you, Steve Wright and um, Randy, who was cooking, and, and everyone who uh, just did a great job of being hospitable again and again. People kept coming up to me and to Scott and just uh, thanking us for, uh, for hosting, and it was a, a great time to hear what's been going on in the Presbytery. And in fact, our own Val Lindenschmidt uh, was up here and was talking about how she went with three other people from the Presbytery down to Mexico in order to support and pray for and encourage Mexican uh, pastors and their spouses. And um, so it was a, just a good experience and a good kind of first Presbytery uh, meeting for me. And so I give God uh, thanks for all of you who did such a wonderful job yesterday. And we are still in Colossians, in case you were wondering. And so uh, we've got this week and next week. Um, and so today we're going to look at a, a little bit of a, of a chunkier piece of text. This is from uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 12, through the first verse of the fourth chapter. So I invite you now to uh, hear um, these words from God's Word. Paul writes, As God's chosen ones... Holy and beloved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgive each other. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in the one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teach and admonish one another in all wisdom, and with gratitude in your hearts, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs to God, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this is your acceptable duty in the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children or they may lose heart. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, not only while being watched and in order to please them, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord." Whatever your task, put yourselves into it as done for the Lord and not for your master, since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You serve the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for whatever wrong has been done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, for you know that you also have a master in heaven. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. God, we do pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, of all of our hearts, will be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, last week we briefly touched on those first four verses, 12 through 15, uh, just at the very end. So I thought about perhaps not even including them this particular Sunday. But as I thought about the whole passage, I realized that those first four words are kind of pivotal in our understanding. The, the first four words are as God's chosen ones. 
In other words, as those who have been called by God, as those who have been loved by God, as as those who are a part of the new creation, who have been raised up with Christ, as those who are a part of the new story, all of these things that we have been talking about over these last several weeks, as those people, the loved children of God, begin there, and then Paul says, this is now your calling. And your calling, he begins, right, by talking about the fact that we are to be clothed. And I love the way that Paul oftentimes uses these kind of remarkable images that are helpful for us to really um, understand and embrace exactly what it is that Paul's saying. Clothe yourselves with kindness, with humility, with patience, with love. It's such a, a fantastic image, this, this sense of clothing. In fact, I, I was thinking about it as, as, as Scott told you earlier. Some of my family is in town. My sister is uh, one of those people who's in town. And my mother and I, whenever my sister is around, we always love the story uh, that she doesn't love but that we love um, about, uh, about her and my father. And when my sister was growing up, when she was a young kid, she never wanted to brush the back of her hair. And, and so she just, she never did. And my, my dad kept telling her, you've got to brush the back of your hair. And she said, Why? Nobody ever sees it. And and so even though my dad kept trying to tell her again and again, he could never convince her until finally one day, my sister and my father were about to walk out the door. They were going someplace together, and all of a sudden, my sister let out this enormous gasp. And she said, Dad, you can't go out like that. You see, my father had cut out the back of his T-shirt, and so it was just his bare back and the rest of his shirt. And he said, well, why? Well, because there's, you, there's nothing in the back of your shirt. What happened? And he said, well, why does it matter? Nobody ever looks at your back, right? <laughs> Needless to say, ever since then, my sister's hair has always been impeccable in the front and in the back. And my point is that clothing is important to us, is it not? And all of our clothing is important to us. And not just on Sundays, right? You don't just wear clothes on Sundays, right? Oh, my. You don't just wear clothes on Sundays, right? This is, okay, this is next week's sermon, clearly. Exhibitionism, okay. And so that's why Paul uses this language then. He says, this is something. You put on clothing each and every day, and you are intentional about it. You are deliberate about it. Perhaps even you ponder it. What should I wear today? And so Paul is saying, just like that, each and every morning, when you arise, welcome back, when you arise, clothe yourselves with compassion and kindness and gentleness, and love. Be intentional about it, that just like clothes won't jump on your body when you awaken, neither will those things. And each and every day when you awaken, you need to ask yourself, am I putting on not just my pants and my shirt, but am I putting on compassion? Am I putting on gentleness? Am I putting on love? Then Paul goes on to say, not only as God's chosen ones, as God's loved ones, are you supposed to put on clothing each day? day. But you are called to teach one another, to admonish one another, to to dwell richly in Christ, to allow Christ to dwell in you and to sing, he says, to sing hymns, to sing spiritual songs, to sing psalms. 
Now, all those things seem pretty normal to us. In fact, those are things that we do pretty much every Sunday morning, aren't they? We, we teach, we, we dwell, we allow Christ to dwell in us. We, we admonish one another from time to time. We, we sing songs. This is all very normal. And if you were raised in the church, that just seems like that's exactly what you should do in worship. And I never questioned any of those things until several years ago I was listening to a pastor, a Presbyterian pastor from Bellevue, Washington. And he was telling the story about how a, a university student had, had come to his office and said, you know what, I've, uh, I've been given this project uh, in a class of mine. And the project is I'm supposed to go to a worship service and then I will come and talk to you afterwards. She said, I've never been to a worship service in all of my days. She's probably early 20s. And, and so I want to do that. And so the pastor said, that's great, no problem. And so uh, sure enough, she went to the worship service and she came back afterwards and she said to him, the very first question she asked, why do you sing? I, I had never thought of that question before. I thought this is just what you do. But then as I thought about it, I thought, well, where else do we go? where a bunch of people get together and everyone just starts kind of randomly singing. I mean, you might have a national anthem at a concert or something, or at a, not at a concert, at a, at, a, at a game or something, but there are a few places that you go, and it's not just people up here singing, but all of you are singing. And so I thought, what a great question. I mean, when it comes to singing and music in churches, we, don't, we rarely ask, why do you sing? We much prefer to fight about which songs we should sing and, and which style is truly more holy and more appropriate. And so that's what we spend all of our time on. We rarely ask, why do we sing. In 2007, there was a documentary that came out. It was on the, on the small Eastern European country of Estonia. And I'm going to guess if I could put up a map here, there would be few of you who could point out exactly where Estonia is. Um, and so it was, of course, a part of the, of the Soviet Union. And when it was uh, kind of overtaken by the Soviets, like most of those countries, they weren't exactly thrilled by that. And, and Russia, uh, just like they did for all the other countries, did as much as they could to russify it, if you will. And so they, uh, they, they, they made them speak the language, the Russian language. They, um, history was taught from a, a Russian perspective. They brought in ethnic Russians in order to try and, and try to uh, kind of dispel all of the Estonian natives to, to water it down so they would mostly just see themselves as Russians. And they outlawed all of the Estonian patriotic songs. And Estonia, this small country, never had the military strength to ever stand up against the Soviet Union. But what they did have were their voices. And Estonia has a long heritage of singing and the importance of singing. And so they continued to sing. And between the years of 1986 and 1991, the singing kind of took up a whole new kind of realm. I mean, they began to sing and to sing. There were concerts where everyone would sing that swelled to up to 300,000 people all coming together and singing these patriotic songs that were outlawed. And in fact, it was this singing that was actually the very genesis for the revolution that would occur where they would finally be set free from the Soviets. And just like Czechoslovakia had the Velvet Revolution, just like Ukraine had the Orange Revolution, Estonia had what they call the Singing Revolution. And one of the fascinating things and why I'm bringing that up this morning is to hear how people described those days. 
One person said this, the powers in the Communist Party were afraid because these songs ignited the passions of the people. Someone else says, singing brought Estonians together and gave them the courage to rebel. And then a New York Times writer says, in bold acts of singing, they reclaimed their identity. What does singing do? It ignites passions. It brings people together. It gives them courage, and it helps to shape their identity. Why is it that Paul said we needed to sing? It was not because he thought it would fill time, and they were trying to figure out how to fill an hour. It's not because it finally gave everyone an opportunity to practice their karaoke. By no means. Why did Paul say it was important to sing? Because it ignited their passion. What did we say several weeks ago when we had communion? That Presbyterians are much too cerebral in their faith and that we need to begin to impassion all of our bodies and what it means to follow Christ. What have we talked about throughout this whole series? The importance of community. What does singing do? It brings community. It helps shape community. What does singing do? It gives us courage to go out into the world. What have we said? We practice here so that we can then go out with boldness. What does singing do? It helps to shape our identity. And just like for the Estonians, when the Soviets kept saying to them, no, you are no longer Estonian, they kept saying, singing, we are. So too, as we have discussed again and again in our time here, there will be people who will say to you, your own self will say to you, you are not called by God. You are not loved by God. And we come together to sing and be reminded of the fact that we are God's children, that you have been called and chosen by God. That is why we sing. From here, Paul kind of gets us, or at least he gets me, riled up. And Paul, we say, he tells us to be clothed like Christ. All right, good. Then he tells us to sing, which inflames the passions. And we say, all right. And what we expect from Paul, at least what I expect from Paul, is for his next phrase to say, charge, go out into the world. And instead, Paul says, Wives, be subject to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Slaves, obey your masters. Masters, treat your slaves fairly and justly. Not exactly how I would have finished off the letter. And I think it's important as an aside for me to at least address a part of this, which is that for most of us, my guess is it's a bit uncomfortable to hear words like wives be subject to your husbands and certainly masters and slaves. Why Why doesn't Paul talk about the fact that we should both be loving each other as husbands and wives? Why does Paul not speak to the evil of slavery? These are important questions, and quite frankly, we don't have that kind of time. We should probably teach it in a Sunday school that, uh, that Scott will teach for you and explain all of this. <laughs> but I will say this. 
And I was thinking about this as I prepare for the installation this afternoon. Uh, when I first had my, when I had my first call at Heritage near Chicago, um, when, when I got there, we averaged 45 people in worship. And, uh, and I can remember that first summer, there were many summers, when, or many Sundays, when it was me and, and the pianist and about 30 other people. And, and then I got here about six weeks ago. And I can remember probably four or five weeks ago, uh, coming in and, and, and after worship, uh, someone said, uh, we only had about 400 people here. Where have they gone? And I thought to myself, 400 people? Are you kidding me? That is amazing. And, and what seemed insignificant to you, for understandable reasons, was absolutely astounding to me. And I bring that up because it seems to me that what may seem like insignificant words to us from Paul, in fact, come on, Paul, say something better than that, would actually have been astounding for those who heard those words on that particular day. Because what's so astounding about this is that Paul is actually talking to the women and the children and the slaves as if they actually matter. He is speaking to them. In that day and age, it would have been few people who would have spoken to the women that they didn't know or to slaves or to children. Women, of course, at that time had few, if any, rights. Slaves were considered property. Children oftentimes were really looked at just merely as servants. They would wash their parents' feet. They would make their parents' bed. They would stand around and wait on their parents which is awesome. Am I right? (laughs) Now that we should bring back. (laughs) But when Paul addresses them, he is saying, you matter. You are important. And not only that, that when he then goes and he addresses the fathers and and the masters, and the husbands. He puts restrictions on what they can do, that they need to love, that they shouldn't provoke, that they should treat their slaves fairly and justly. In that day and age, those people, people like I would have been, did not have restrictions. And so Paul is saying, be restricted. So though when we hear these words, we perhaps scoff at them, the the women and the slaves and the children would have heard those words with their mouths and their eyes wide open amazed at what Paul was saying. But beyond that, as we move from that, there is still the question of why exactly Paul begins to discuss this family, the work people, the people with whom you work, rather than saying, let's go get them. And as I continued to think about that, I realized how how eerily similar this was to how Jesus oftentimes dealt with his disciples. Remember, Jesus is continually, he keeps telling them the kingdom of God has come near. He keeps using this great language, right? So much so that what do the disciples think? We're going to take over. The disciples were excited. They continually wanted to know, when do we ride? When do we go out and take over Jerusalem? When do we throw off the shackles of the Romans? And Jesus would then respond, all right, that's right. The kingdom of God is coming now Go and love your neighbor. 
Blessed are the meek. There seems to be this massive disconnect. And yet the more I thought about it, the more I began to realize that in so many ways, exactly what Paul understood and what Jesus clearly understood is that a revolution for God's kingdom, this great revolution of God's kingdom will only be as impactful as it is genuine and real. And there is no better indicator, hear me now, there is no better indicator for how real God is in your life, for whether or not you are clothing yourself each and every morning with kindness and gentleness and humility and love, whether or not you actually believe the songs that you are singing this morning, there is no better indicator of that than whether or not those people, your spouse, your child, your parent, those you work with are experiencing that through you. You cannot fool your parents or your children or your coworkers or your spouse. In other words, it is one thing to come in here and to sing Amazing Grace and then to go out there on the street corner and to preach how great God's grace is. And it is a whole nother thing to be able to share that same type of grace with your husband or your wife after they have wronged you. Amen? It is one thing for a father to teach his children that they should trust and obey God. It is a whole different kind of commitment, a radical commitment for you to actually let them see how you are trusting and obeying in God. It is one thing for you to shout from the rooftops about the injustices of this world, as we certainly should, but it is a whole together different kind of ball game for you to treat those with whom you work every day and those perhaps who are your bosses or who are working under you with fairness and justice. I thought how interesting it was that though it was very uncomfortable for many of us a few weeks ago, when I said, go out and ask somebody you don't know, go talk to someone you don't know. And how, how many of you said that was very uncomfortable and I agree with you, but I think this, I think that uncomfortableness pales in comparison to how uncomfortable it would be if you turn to the person who is next to you right now, if you're sitting next to someone who knows you well and were to say to them, am I actually clothing myself each and every day with kindness and gentleness and humility? Am I reflecting the image of the invisible God to you, wife? I'll be honest with you. I haven't asked my wife that question. And I would quite frankly prefer if you did not either. (laughs) Sisters and brothers in Christ, we have a calling. And that calling is to clothe ourselves each and every morning. Our calling is to sing songs, not just because we get excited, but because of the fact that they, they say something about who we are. And so I want to encourage you this week, each and every day as you get up out of bed, as that alarm starts, when you jump in the shower or jump in your car and you start singing those great songs about salvation, ask yourself, do I really believe this? And then ask yourself whether or not you are willing to live so radically that your children and your husband and your wife and those with whom you work will experience that same grace and love because of how you are treating them.
And I believe if you begin to do that, then others will not be able to help but begin to wonder, why is it that this person is singing like this? Why is it that this person seems to be so clothed? And they will not be able to but help themselves to begin to be clothed in the same way, to begin to sing the same song. And that will begin a revolution that will break the chains of Satan and this world. But it begins with how you wake up tomorrow Get dressed, sing, and reflect the image of Christ to those near and those far. Hallelujah. Amen.